all go a little mad here at Is It Really, the podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp. I'm Zachary Smith Michaels. And I'm Mitchell Dupree. <laughs> and tonight we'll be conducting a psychoanalysis and asking Is Alfred Hitchcock the master of suspense? Zach, why don't you give us the plot of Psycho? Marion Crane is in trouble. She's running away from danger left and right. She checks into a sketchy motel where she meets the well-mannered Norman Bates, a young man with an interest in taxidermy and a difficult relationship with his mother. Will they ever get along? (laughs) Norman! Norman, you're no good! Don't put me in the basement! So the roadmap we're using to discuss Hitchcock is Psycho, which is largely considered his most iconic movie. But Hitchcock made quite a few great movies, some very different from Psycho. Two examples come to mind immediately. The Birds and Rear Window. Both fantastic movies. Uh, Are you guys familiar with these movies at all? Yeah. You bought me Rear Window for my birthday one year. Ooh, that was a good present. Well, I hadn't seen The Birds or Psycho until this week. So why Rear Window and not the other two? Just out of curiosity, because it was the same for me. I just heard it was the best. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Right. I think Rear Window is his most easily accessible movie. Sure. For me, Rear Window has that element of mystery. So I'm more interested in a movie like that than I am into a slasher film. Is it the original slasher film? Isn't that what people are going to say? Yeah, I guess in context to what the slasher genre has become, I would say that this is much smarter and much better made. Sure. Yeah. It's like got the original scene. Right. It is interesting because I associated Hitchcock with much scarier movies. I don't know why. I just always associated him with Tales from the Crypt or something for some reason. I just thought <laughs> yeah. he like made things like Psycho. And then when you watch Birds, like it's unsettling, but... It's practically a rom-com for the first, like, half of it. When are the birds going to start pecking people's eyes out, please? When are we going to get to that part? And I think what I love about birds so much is there's not some big, hairy, sweaty-toothed madman chasing you down the street. You know, it's something that is a part of our everyday lives. We see birds all the time. Mm -hmm. And Hitchcock takes, like, a normal thing and turns it into a monster. Well, I think also, like, Hitchcock just understood what people were afraid of. Mm. In New York City, when you see a pigeon fly too close to someone, everyone freaks out. But I don't think that, you know, if you ask people, what are you afraid of? There aren't a lot of people who say birds, yet we all are when one comes flying towards us. Hitchcock does have an understanding of, like, What's scary aside from monsters and things jumping out at you? Well, I think he understands the thing that's scary underneath. It's not like birds necessarily. It's claustrophobia. It's the idea that I can't leave my home because if I go outside, Mm. I'm going to die. Yeah, there's layers. Uh, Yeah, there's layers to it. That's right. You can watch it the first time. You're like, oh, neat. And it'll be cute. And that guy's pretty good looking and funny. Right. And then you watch it again. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's nature itself what if nature turned on us there's these forces that want to put melanie in a cage and she breaks out like i see the mom i think hitchcock is afraid of moms right maybe maybe he definitely has some oedipal stuff in a lot of the movies that i've I've seen of his now yeah but this mom is like representative of like society's like prudish restrictions like this is the way you're supposed to act and melanie is this person who's going to do what she wants to do 
And then the repercussions, I feel like the birds represent this sort of like guilt that's coming as a result of her actions. But I do love how the backbone of the movie is like the oldest premise there is. You know, something's chasing me. It's a genre piece, which I think is his strength. He leans into the genre of what he's doing, and then he adds those additional layers underneath it. Right, right. It reminds me of like today, even just like when Stephen King got massive popularity because it legitimized genre writers in a way that hadn't existed before. Right. Yeah, and real quick, we mentioned Rear Window for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I love about Rear Window and could be why it ends up being a lot of people's favorite is kind of that stripped down, ultra simplified premise. Right. And when you take away some of those large distracting elements, you can do like one or two things really well. And it has the vivacious Grace Kelly in it also, <laughs> which doesn't hurt. A lot of these movies have been ripped off later on. Like, you know, the birds, you later have Birdemic. And to a different degree, you have Rear Window, then you have the Shia LaBeouf classic Disturbia. I think that what Hitchcock did so well with Rear Window is that the whole movie just feels very, like, tight. You have to, like, lean in. You have to focus. Otherwise, you're going to lose a lot. Mm. There's something for me, too, just about the casting of Jimmy Stewart in that. Right. Uh, because he is kind of America's everyman. He kind of is a stand-in for the common person in a way that, like, a Shia LaBeouf isn't. Shia seems like kind of <laughs> the kind of guy who, if he made a hard left in his car, a bunch of stuff would slide around in the backseat. Like, he's... <laughs> He's not yeah. an everyman like uh, a Jimmy Stewart. So the setup of Jimmy Stewart's character makes sense. Like Jimmy Stewart's a photographer. So, of course, if he's stuck to this one area, he's going to look out the window and notice stuff. Whereas in Disturbia, Shia LaBeouf is home alone. And instead of watching the TV or going online, he decides to creep on his neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what Shia LaBeouf does in real life let's be honest why can we watch a movie like Rear Window which is about voyeurism right. and mm -hmm. obsession mm -hmm. and identify with the protagonist that's <laughs> right. it's a neat trick I don't know how he yeah. accomplishes it I think there's something to the fact that we learn information as the protagonist does so we feel a kinship with him but even so I mean he he is a creep Brandon I know you do photography do you like <laughs> to look out your back window and, and creep on the neighbors well that's not my first instinct I'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, Rear Window also reminds me of another movie and kind of a different aspect of it. The movie 12 Angry Men. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the whole huh. thing takes place in a single room. Right. Yes. And that allows things like the acting, the performances really to stand out. Right. Mm -hmm. You really strip down a lot of extra noise. And I think that's where Rear Window really thrives. Almost the whole movie is just the man's room, the man's apartment. Yeah, this mm. two-hour movie in one room. Gosh, I don't want to sit in one room for two hours to watch a movie at the time, so. <laughs> you know what I think? I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. We scratch and, and claw, but only at the air, only at each other. And for all of it, we never budge an inch. 
Sometimes we deliberately step into those traps. I was born in mine. I don't mind it anymore. Oh, but you should. You should mind it. Oh, I do. <laughs> but I say I don't. So before watching this movie, I only knew Psycho by reputation. Like, it's a scary movie, shower scene. But what was shocking to me is every guy in this movie is a creep to some extent. Like, her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie is very, like, mansplainy and very, like, machismo to, like, an annoying degree. Then there's her boss who seems kind of like he's just a little off and very kind of squirrely. And then there's that guy who's who's like, I never carry more than I'm willing to lose. And then like the cop is a little weird. So Norman though, is the first guy who isn't like, Hey little lady, how about a kiss? And it never seems like he's up to something. It just seems like he's a nice, well-mannered man. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up the creepiness because uh, as I was thinking about it, that dude in the hat with all the money is making a sexual advance on the main character, but he's also oddly paternal, right? Like he's like a creepy right. uncle, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and that to me mirrors Norman's relationship with his mother. This is not natural. It's not right. right. I wonder if the negative masculine portrayal is intentional or if that's just the time period. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. I think it's a little bit of both. I would lean more towards time period. I mean, the only thing that makes Marion's boss creepy is the fact that he doesn't shut down the cowboy <laughs> from the things he's saying and doing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think Norman is like the first innocent, welcoming, friendly male character that you meet. And mm -hmm. it does kind of invite you in and cause you to let down your guard. Norman lulls Marion into like this safety blanket, almost. Mm -hmm. uh, it causes her to slip and tell the truth a couple times. She was trying to hide her name right. and hide where she was from. And in this very vulnerable conversation that they have, she reveals those two pieces of information. They even take you back and show you, remind you that that's not what she wrote down in the book. Right. Even after like a like an awkward moment, there was an awkward moment where Marion brings up Norman's mother and he snaps at her. He gets a little perturbed and she's still comfortable enough to reveal those two pieces of information. And also Norman does suck you in. And then he has his one comment when he says a boy's best friend is his mother, which I feel you could either take it as like excuse me or like oh poor guy you know what i mean <laughs> right yeah i think audiences in the day would have been like oh you know but today i'm like ah, no ah, get, <laughs> get away <laughs> well do you think that that's because so many other movies have kind of like done that mm -hmm. like you know people who are overly attached to their mothers are weird like that kind of stuff it's funny we're acting like that's a new thing like right. like oedipus is like that's a super <laughs> old story you know it's not normal taxidermy that's not normal <laughs> he's selling it as this completely normal activity and i believe him and, yeah. and there are some people i i don't want to insult taxidermists it is an art form it's just like you have to have a, a very unique outlook on life to be a taxidermist i feel like mm, right, a dead right. thing i want to spend a bunch of hours with it <laughs> <laughs> sewing it up yeah stuffing it and sewing it up and i'm gonna hold this corpse on my lap should have been some red flags flying up i think marion hitchcock is not being subtle about like she's prey 
Right. Anytime uh, you see yeah. a bird, and you know, that predator makes mm-hmm. it pretty clear. Right. Question for you guys. With the setup for this scene, it's that scene where she overhears Norman having that argument with his mother. How do you guys think that that dressed the scene that follows? I try to be pretty forgiving with a lot of these movies, but that scene when she's eavesdropping on their conversation, it's like, you can hear every word they're saying like she's right next to them, and they (laughs) are good. They're... they're they're a good in ways a away. In a different house. Well, yeah. every time they do the voiceovers, it's like a wide shot of the whole house. And like, yeah. oh, mother, blood, no. Yeah. <laughs> How do we hear that? He has a megaphone. <laughs> Something. Yeah, it's plain as day. Oh, Hitchcock. I think it was a little on the ham-handed side, but I feel like when Norman walks up, I'm thinking he's got some explaining to do. Right. Or he's going to really like profusely be apologizing for his mom and he doesn't really do either of those things. And 30 seconds later, I've totally forgotten about that yelling match between Norman and his mom. So -hmm. somehow he's able to just scoot right past it. And I think that really goes back to just his practiced friendliness, that disarming quality about Norman. But do you think it's practiced? Because as we're told later in the movie, he has that split personality. Is that a practiced politeness or is that just who Norman is? I think like the first layer is practiced. When the detective comes and sees him, he's got one good answer for every question. Okay. And then upon further digging, Norman implodes. Norman falls apart. I think that first like base layer is very practiced and polished. Yes. Right. But I see it as him protecting his mother because he believes that his mother is the person killing these people. Okay. All right. He's still lying about a murder. I'm not saying he's a good person, but (laughs) I'm saying I think his motivations uh, for him seem to be, you know, protecting his family. Right. Well, wouldn't I do for my mother? She's my best friend. That makes sense. That makes sense. I just think he's... He's not some all shucksy type. He is aware of something. Something else is mm-hmm. a brew. He takes that picture off the wall and peers into Marion's room. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. And that's like, mm. the, well, that's like the first time that you realize, oh. Yep, you're not good. He's not a nice guy. I was actually wondering, I remember Mitch being a fan of the show Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you saw Psycho after Bates Motel, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think that tied in with your enjoyment of Psycho? Honestly, it just made me enjoy the movie more, I think. Bates Motel is a rare example, I think, where the adaptation is different enough. It felt complimentary. I don't know. I got into Bates Motel also, and I did the flip version. I saw Psycho first, and then the show, and I'm all in favor of that method. It was fascinating to me because I knew how the story ends down the road. And it does make me want to rewatch it Mm -hmm. now because there's obviously that fun of knowing, oh, this is what they're referencing in the movie and that kind of stuff. Well, this movie, like the ending when that psychiatrist gives that nine hour speech, it made me (laughs) kind of go like, that'd be a cool TV show. And then I was like, oh, yeah, huh, interesting, because it was one of those things where I was like, "I, I think I would like to spend more time in this world and kind of understanding these characters. I never finished Space Motel, which bums me out. I'm probably going to have to revisit it. I never actually got to the point where Norman had killed his mom and had started cross-dressing. Some of that obviously feels dated now. It's like, oh, so he's a transvestite. 
Well, not quite. It's a, a middle-of-the-century view of uh, sexuality, very tied to Freud and uh, his psychoanalysis. I also wasn't crazy about Freddie Highmore. Anthony Perkins sets the bar so incredibly high. And, I mean, Freddie, he's not bad. I think he's really good in Bates Motel, especially when you see him in other things like The Good Doctor. And you're like, oh, you can be really bad. Charlie on so. the Chocolate Factory? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think back to our Hannibal Lecter episode. Where Brandon said the scary thing about Hannibal is he could be the guy next door. And I think what makes Norman Bates so scary is not only is he the guy next door, but he's the guy next door who you kind of like. He's taking that guy next door that, you know, leave it to beaver type. And he's showing the darkness there. Marion is actually kind of the city person in this movie. She's seeking domestic life right that's all reason right. she's stealing money what does she say like i want to boil a steak <laughs> with the the picture on the wall and my sister in the room like she wants essentially what like norman has right and the illusion of what norman has with his family and his right. mother and then i wanted to say this when you asked about the framing of the scene it's immediately shown that Oh, this domestic stuff isn't that great either. It's actually, right. mm-hmm. there's something insidious underneath it. Speaking of uh, of other horror movies, do you know what uh, Marion reminded me of a little bit? I can't remember her name, but Little Shop of Horrors. What's her Somewhere name? Somewhere that's green. Yeah, yeah, her. <laughs> I, it made me think of her a little bit when she was just like talking about the life she wanted. I was like, suddenly Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I hear someone say they want to boil anything, I'm like, oh, this is the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> some other masters of this genre and how do you think they compare to Hitchcock? I don't even have to say it, but I will. M. Night Shyamalan. Stop. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's an interesting one because what I think Shyamalan had that Hitchcock also had was variety. You have Sixth Sense, you have Unbreakable, and then you have Signs. Those are three very different movies, but they all look and feel like a Shyamalan movie. Whereas Rear Window, Psycho, The Birds, those are three very different movies, but they all have Hitchcock style. And then, you know, I mean, eventually we got what we got. I think another modern day master, Jordan Peele. We can't talk about suspense in 2019 without talking about Jordan Peele. He seems to directly be walking in Hitchcock's shoes. He did the horror movie thing. He's doing a TV show now. His Twilight Zone is sort of an equivalent to Hitchcock's uh, TV show. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, yeah. Hitchcock so. presents scary stuff. <laughs> you know, it's almost a similar reaction. Like when I sat down to watch Psycho, I was expecting like, all right, this is going to be a nonstop blood and gore or chocolate syrup fest. Uh, people getting stabbed, people getting murdered. And I was like, oh, no, this is actually like very psychological and mm-hmm. very well written and very well made. Right. And when Mitch and I went to go see Get Out, I was sitting down like, OK, it's a comedy guy. Like I'm expecting just a lot of like blood and guts. And I was like, oh, my gosh, if you look at the stuff on Get Out and even us, like mm. the subtext and the meanings of certain shots, it's filmmaking at its best. And I think, Mitch, you're right. Jordan does seem to be taking some big notes from um, Alfred Hitchcock. And I think the one of the main things that we can really 
point to is the crescendo, if you will. The shower scene in Psycho, Hitchcock has often been criticized for the way he ends movies, Mm -hmm. but he nails those crescendos, Mm -hmm. those scenes that everyone's talking about the next day. And, you know, Get Out has a great ending, but a movie like Us really nails those crescendos and those big moments, I think, the way Hitchcock does. Well, even with Get Out, that ending is great. But if you talk to a lot of people, the scene they'll talk about is the tea scene where Catherine Keener mm-hmm. stirs the tea and hypnotizes him. That's the moment that you see all the pictures from. The symbol of civility that turns out to be hostile. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, so good. I think we're going to be using Peel's movies in 20 years to understand racial and social unease of the early 21st century. And the same way that we look at Hitchcock movies to understand some of the tensions around gender and class, they're social thrillers. And another thing that kind of jumped out to me, both of those movies are balling on a budget a little bit. (laughs) Like Get (laughs) Out was made for $4 million, Psycho. It was 800 grand. Yeah. And those are both movies that went on to just, I think, Get Out's a modern classic and Psycho speaks for itself. Yeah, I think Psycho made the most money of all of Hitchcock's movies. Right. And I think I think it says something cool to like young filmmakers. I mean, of course, you know, Jordan Peele and Hitchcock both have names, but I think it says you can make something of quality with not that much money. You just need to have a good story and you need to have that vision, which not everybody has. But I think. Well, I read that when he made Psycho, he just filmed North by Northwest. Right. Mm-hmm. He was set to film Vertigo. So he was kind of at his peak of popularity. Right. And his office reviewed 2,400 script submissions that year to find the perfect story. Wow. 2,400. Wow. To find that grabby story. In that time period, too. Right, exactly. They looked at everything. Right. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. It's about the story. Another filmmaker that I think of is, and, and especially we were talking about stretching your dollar as a filmmaker, is John Carpenter. Yes. And one thing about... Carpenter that you can kind of point to Hitchcock with is building the suspense, if you will, setting a scene up and really focusing on all of the different elements of the, you know, the blocking and the camera work and the noises you hear, you know, and the music. And it focuses less on like the actual scariness of the thing and more on scaring the daylights out of you with this huge buildup. He sets the tone through music. There have been movies like It Follows that have directly cited the influence of the Halloween score. And that's a direct tie to Hitchcock, too. You've got the Mm. with John Carpenter. I think of the (laughs) one of the big differences, though, between Carpenter and Hitchcock is Carpenter is not only interested in just like the human characters, but he really like loves his monsters, too. I guess I'm just thinking directly of the thing which has the most terrifying scene in the world when the thing just bursts out of that dog. It's so terrifying. Going back to that primal fear, like most people love dogs. You know, what's what's more precious than petting your puppy or something like that? And now all of a sudden, here comes this creature just bursting out of there. And then to the other extent, you know, what's more relaxing than after a long day hopping in the shower? But uh uh-oh. Yeah, you're so vulnerable. I think one thing you can really say about these three filmmakers is that they're all students and fans of the art form of horror and suspense. Mm -hmm. And with the advances in technology, you can make these crazy CGI 
scary things, but you really lose the art form and building that suspense, focusing on the terrifying scenes. And, you know, these people made arguably the most terrifying movies of all time with just the technology of basic cameras. If you can make a car scary, you're a master, you know? (laughs) Even like the early scenes with Marion driving, that music, I was super uneasy. I couldn't sit back. I could not relax um, this watch through. And the music was just really putting me on edge. And I think that is just a testament to these older films and how you had to focus on all of these elements. It's so much better that it's in black and white, too, especially during that scene. It almost felt like a choice. Yeah, it really did, because it fades from you're able to see what's going on to absolute blackness. Yeah, right. I also think that these are three filmmakers who have the end goal in mind. They know what their movie's going to look like, and they don't let rules get in their way, if that makes sense. Here we are, 2019, still talking about the movie Psycho. Why is Alfred Hitchcock still relevant? So I watched this movie, Psycho, for the first time, and I went to go take a shower. <laughs> and I was I was super scared. I was like, oh my gosh, if someone like came in here right now, I'd, I would have nothing. I'd be done. I kind of think of Hitchcock as like a director's director, the way that some people will like cite Carlin or Bill Burr as a comedian's comedian. So many of the greats have said they've learned their tricks from Hitchcock. I think there was a Spielberg quote where he said, you know, I used Hitchcock's dolly zoom technique in Jaws and E.T., Right. I was inspired by what he was doing in Vertigo, and I, I took it, and now that's the way I shot a movie. Yeah, right. Uh, so people who are paying attention uh, can learn so much from him. Right. Hitchcock's fingerprints are just on all of the good horror movies coming out today. And I, I love how Hitchcock kind of lets your mind wander a little bit. He doesn't spell everything out for you. He's not really showing you the thing. He's letting your mind wander and it build up in your head. And I think it's like just a true psychological mind job by the time you get to the end. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's also that build too. Like in Psycho, for instance, when Marion's boyfriend comes to get him, you're expecting it to end in a fist fight between Norman and this boyfriend character. But it doesn't. It ends in the basement with them turning around what you think is Norman's mother, which turns out to be, you know, a dead skeleton. And then Norman runs in the room dressed as his mom with a knife. It's like, whoa, Mm -hmm. he builds it to like, okay, here's where the movie's supposed to go. And then he pulls the rug out from underneath you. The first time I saw that, my brain exploded out of my skull. Right. (laughs) Right. I think he had a great eye for talent. I watched some clips from Gus Van Sant's remake with Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. And if I'm a director and I'm reading Norman Bates on paper, a Vince Vaughn type seems perfect. A guy who's kind of a creep and who's kind of weird. But I think Hitchcock just had such a good understanding of story and we're going to get the right people and we're going to get the right characters and, and stuff like that. Plus, he was willing to risk it all. Right. Like Psycho is like a pulpy, lowbrow movie 
that he really set the peak of his career. That is honestly what it takes. Someone who knows what he's going to do, what he wants to do, and he just does it. Right. Like there's reputations about like uh, Hitchcock where he didn't talk to his actors. He showed up. Everyone on sets in a shirt and tie. He came to do work. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. He knew what he wanted and he knew how to get it. Did you know that Hitchcock was like the original don't spoil the movie person? No. Well, I, I know that he wouldn't let anyone in the movie after it started. He instructed the theaters to basically close the doors and not admit anyone. I did hear that there would be like a big cardboard cutout of Hitchcock. Do not share the ending of this movie with anyone kind of thing. There were a couple. There was one where he was pointing at his watch and it was like, if you don't show up on time, you <laughs> don't you don't get to come in. And there was that one, like, don't spoil the movie. That's awesome. And he instructed the theaters because they pushed back. They're like, no, we're going to do what we want. We're a movie theater and we want to make money. And he told them how they could get the word out about the movie so they would lose as little money as possible by not letting people in. Like, he was just a genius. He made it work. Yeah. Because if right. people tried to do that today, they'd be like, uh, F you, Hitchcock, we're going to let anyone in who wants to come in. Right. But he straight up Bruce Campbell them. Do you know what Psycho made me think of in a weird way? Avengers Endgame. Oh, boy. Spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Uh, Oh, no. The beginning, they go kill Thanos, right? In, like, the first 10 minutes. Whereas Psycho, the whole, like, the first 30 minutes of the movie, you think you're going to be spending the film with Marion. And then they kill her off 30 minutes in. And then you have a minute of, what's this movie about? I thought it was her being on the run. Now Mm. I'm completely caught off guard. There's a theory surrounding that called the alienation effect. So the idea is you feel connected to Marion and then we're scrambling to find someone new to latch onto once we kill her. And there's no one. one. Exactly. There's no one else to latch onto. So you feel as a viewer alone and vulnerable. That's so good. And, you know, to some extent, every horror movie that I remember fondly, there's that lens of, okay, you know Hitchcock did that better though like I've already seen that and I saw Hitchcock do it in black and white yeah which also I was surprised I guess that this movie opened to like negative reviews that doesn't surprise me at all I mean this is a movie that thrusts 1950s America into these shocking places of like adultery and theft and murder and there's a toilet in it uh (laughs) There's a shower scene. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing they're okay with. The toilet flushing thing, it's funny that you mentioned that. That was scandalous at the time. It's the first toilet. It was the first time you've ever seen a toilet flushing on the screen, yeah. Oh, that was Mm -hmm. another thing I wanted to talk about, too, is after Norman kills Marion, the shower keeps running. To quote a score from the social network, it's the gentle hum of anxiety almost. Like, turn off the shower. So she makes this decision to go back home, right? She'd made that before she got in the shower. She's like, you know what? Change my mind. I'm going to go do what's right. right. She gets in the shower. Shower is water. Water is cleansing. So she's sort of being washed of her sins of stealing all this money. And she's, uh, you know, essentially being cleaned. And then, yeah, it's a sick joke because like Norman had already telegraphed to the audience. We're all in our little traps. You're mm-hmm. in a trap the whole time. You don't even realize it. I mean, we're still talking about the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I look at a lot of movies now and you see that to some extent everyone's taking lessons from this one black and white scene from this movie from the 50s
you're at a pet shop. There's no one around, so you decide to buy some lovebirds. And out of the corner of your eye, you spot him walking out of the store. Alfred Hitchcock. He's following you about 30 feet back, carrying a camera, framing the shot so it mimics his gaze. There's sweat in his brow and murder in his eyes. Alfred Hitchcock. Lulled into a false sense of security by the thought that this could all be in your head. He's stalking you like a carpenter-esque madman creeping even closer, Alfred Hitchcock. You're looking for your car, but you're all turned around. He's almost upon you now, and you can see him stuffing a taxidermy falcon. My God, there's birds everywhere! Master of the night, Alfred Hitchcock. Shoots in black and white, it's Alfred Hitchcock. Working in the shadows. Populist turned auteur, Alfred Hitchcock. Famous for his camera work, Alfred Hitchcock. Showed us the MacGuffin, Alfred Hitchcock. Exploits our deep anxieties. Actual psychopath, Alfred Hitchcock. Now it's dark, and you seem to have lost him, but you're hopelessly lost. Fleeing from a Hollywood icon. Aha! In the distance, a rundown motel with a flickering light on. Hope! You have dinner with the caretaker, but hark, he's shouting at his mother. Use a fake name. Quiet, quiet. Leaving things get weird. Quiet, quiet. Now you're in the shower. Waiting inside. Alfred Hitchcock. Lovers in adultery. Alfred Hitchcock. Very, very sultry. Alfred Hitchcock. Don't spoil the ending. Or you will be stabbed to death by Alfred Hitchcock. Tunes you won't forget. Alfred Hitchcock, keeping you on edge. Alfred Hitchcock, Ford would be a proud man. Your subconscious now belongs to Alfred Hitchcock. The podgy Scaremeister is wearing a wig and dress. He clutches your throat but slips, and you hear a fatal crack. But you can't bear to look at the gore. You limp out of the foggy bathroom, chocolate syrup pooling on the floor. But you have won. You've beaten... Alfred Hitchcock. Wait, he isn't dead. A Shyamalan twist. And Jordan Peele appears from the ominous mist. Student and the master, this can't be real. Horror double feature with Hitchcock and Peele. Dripping your defenses, Alfred Hitchcock. Voyeuristic lenses, Alfred Hitchcock. Leaning in the genres, Alfred Hitchcock. Fast cut so you can't see booth with Alfred Hitchcock. He laughs at your fear. And plots your demise He's surprisingly fast for a man of his size Push him out her window now You have just vertigoed Alfred Hitchcock Dial D for drama Turns out these villains really knew how to nail a crescendo Wait! Where's Jordan? You hear a scuffle, the door swings open and your keys are gone No matter The thing you were fighting is no more A director only a mother could love You got out you're safe from Alfred Hitchcock. Well, our Heroes 3 have done it again. Thank you for listening to our episode on the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. If you have a minute, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can be found at the Is It Really Podcast. And while you're there, like or follow us and leave a comment. We would love to engage with you further. And don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're up to it, please give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.